Blog Talk Radio. Mysteries. I'm Sherry Knowlton. Um, I write the Alexa Williams series of books, uh, Dead of Autumn, Dead of Summer, Dead of Spring, Dead of Winter, and the latest, Dead on the Delta. Lots of deads there, aren't there? Um, my Milford House Mysteries co-host, J.M. West, is also with me today, but we're going to switch up our usual format um, where we usually both interview somebody. Uh, and uh, today I'm going to be the interviewer, uh, and Jody is going to be the guest because she has a new book out. Uh, it's recently been released uh, called Bessie Jones, Madam Bessie Jones, Her Life and Time. Um, welcome to the podcast, Jody. Uh, today is well, the unusual role of guest. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Um, let, me, let me start off, um, as we usually do, by telling you a little bit about J.M. West, the author, not the co-host. Uh, Jody is best known as the author of the Carlisle Crime Cases series, which features homicide detectives Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy. Um, she's a professor emerita of English Studies at Harrisburg Area Community College, the Gettysburg campus. She also taught at Masada College and Shippensburg University and served as assistant director of the Learning Center. Um, the Carlisle Crime Cases books uh, include uh, Dying for Vengeance, Courting Doubt and Darkness, Darkness at First Light, Had a Dying Fall, and Things Strangled. Her debut novel, Glory in the Flower, also is an additional book she's written, and that depicts four co-ed struggles during the turbulent 1960s. Jody and her husband live in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. They have two sons and two grandsons and a border collie mix who keeps Jody busy. Um, In her spare time, uh, Jody participates in book clubs, writing groups, and reads voraciously. Now today we're here to talk about Jody's fascinating new work of history. Never one to avoid a challenge, Jody took on a scandalous South Central Pennsylvania figure and an unsolved murder for her first foray into historical nonfiction. In Madame Bessie Jones, Her Life and Times, Jones emerges from the shadows of Carlisle, Pennsylvania history, first turning tricks in her mother Cora Andrews' body house, and then running her brothel from the Roaring Twenties through the chaotic Sixties until her murder on October 1, 1972. Uh, the historic book traces the struggles of Jones operating a successful although illegal, business, 
um, through actual anecdotes, uh, and it also uh, describes her murder and the sensational trial that followed. So, Judy, Jody, I've talked quite a bit. Um, let me give you a chance to chime in, and why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about this new book um, about Madame Bessie Jones? Well, I'd be happy to. Um, Madame Bessie Jones was, a, at first, uh, she was the daughter of poor um, Andrews, who's ran her own cat house for 50 years uh, before she passed or sold, actually sold the uh, business to her eldest daughter, Bessie. And so uh, I read articles and I made, um, uh, well, the more I read and the more I was just a little bit um, peeved, I guess the word would be about the differences <laughs> between the way women were treated as the men were treated. So I, what I was trying to do basically is pull all these desperate items together and assimilate them in some kind of order um, so that the, we could focus on Bessie Jones instead of um, the defendant, you know, who was uh, the only person arrested for her murder. Um so I was trying to get to know Bessie and trying to just look at, um, you know, look at what she was doing and not, you know, look beyond that scandalous, oh, a brothel, oh, a body house, oh. Um, and, of course, there, you know, there is that um, because she happened to be operating the, the, her body house right in central PA, which is one of the most conservative areas, um, I don't know, perhaps in the state, <laughs> Um, so the more I inquired, the more I felt that I learned, you know, about her. It took a long time for me to really um, actually settle on a mm, a pattern because I don't follow any uh -huh. pattern, especially with, you know, trying a new book. So what I finally determined was chronological made the most sense with a flashback to 1959. And then the rest was told in that you know in the order that it basically happened. Okay, well, you know, I, I the, from the first uh, you told me that you were uh, you, you know, going to take on Bessie Jones, uh, who is well, very well known as a legend, I guess, of, of sorts in the Carlisle area. I, I was you know sort of fascinated by it. Um, and I know that writing about historical elements, even in, in your fiction, is not entirely new to you. Um, your first novel, Glory in the Flower, has some aspects of a memoir, um, uh, even mm -hmm. though it's a fictional book. Plus, it focuses on the 60s. And um, your Carlisle Crime Cases series also uh, borrows from true events, some real crimes that, that took place in the area. But um, mm -hmm. historical nonfiction is uh, a new genre for you. So why did you decide to just switch it up and try something new? Well, because somebody, else, somebody asked me to. And I had, oh. and of course I heard of Bessie and uh I was at the Carlisle uh, Expo in 2018, and a gentleman walks up to me and says, he has this you know, two-inch stack of papers with him. And he said, Carlisle Crime Cases. He says, what do you – so I 
explained, gave a little background, you know, on the Carlisle crime cases and what they were about um, primarily, you know, detectives, police procedurals. And so he handed me this stack of papers and he said, are you going to do a book on Bessie? And, hmm, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I really didn't know. It's probably the most challenging thing that I have ever done primarily because I haven't done it before. And uh-huh. I did wrestle with the genre a little bit, you know, because I, I thought, do I have enough to do a biography? And, of course, no. Um, even after, you know, 18 months of research, uh, I still didn't have, didn't feel that. I, um, and so well, I thought, well, history, that's about the only, because she's so well known. It was um, in order to portray her correctly, I had to stay with, uh, for me, which was a very narrow path of, uh, you know, just being factual and, and reporting events as opposed to uh, making up <laughs> Uh, as I yeah, uh, you toyed so with the idea of, of trying to make it historical fiction at one point, right? Mm-hmm. But then you mm-hmm. you settled in right. on that you had had to be tr- totally accurate and just take the nonfiction path. Yes, that's uh, that's what Lawrence decided. So, uh, <laughs> so I went along with it, of course, uh, because I, I say it's, it's, this is new for me, you know, and I. Well, I had a number of conversations about what I could and couldn't do, you know, uh-huh. as, you know, as a journalist or a reporter or someone who's just who's telling somebody else's story. Um, so, I mean, it was it's very, very interesting, but it took a long time for me. Usually, when I'm writing fiction, I can fall into letting the characters just work themselves through me, but it really took a long time before I felt Bessie before I actually felt that I could, you know, express an you know, express a feeling or an opinion or um in the anecdotes and also in the history part. So well, it was quite a challenge actually. Yeah. Did 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 you almost feel like you had an obligation to since she's she was a real person to 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 do her justice with you know, painting the most accurate picture of her that you could? Was that part of what drove you once you got into it? Yes, absolutely, because I couldn't make anything up. You know, she actually uh, was a historical, not just a, a, you know, a legend, in some cases uh, even a myth. Um, So I'm not exactly sure um, if, uh, you know, when stop and think, about you know what she did, I, I'm not sure I'm even answering your question. Did, should I? <laughs> would you rephrase the question, or should I, do I keep going on my? Oh tangent? no, no, I, it's just like um, I, I guess what I'm sort of you know I'm sort of thinking aloud as as we're talking, but mm-hmm. you know in fiction you, you, we create our characters, right? All of our characters, right. and right. Uh, even if we're loosely uh, basing um, a character uh, on s- somebody we know, or in um, in my case, I you know I've written some historical fiction uh, as part of my, my books. Um, uh, you know, there's a, a and some of them have historical subplots, um, but even though there some of them are real people, I, I've used a lot of liberty. Um, in 
you know, in describing them. But it, in this case, you know, this is biogra- biographical, historical, uh, and more than anything, nonfiction. So it must have been hard to to try to do as much as you could to make it accurate. Yes, I mean, it actually felt like walking a tightrope for me. You, know, oh, you had to stay, stay in line, stay balanced, you know, stay focused, because I didn't want uh-huh. to put anything in there that couldn't be corroborated, you know, that didn't uh, have, you know, a, another, um, I couldn't verify it through newspaper articles, uh, you know, court records, archives, things like that. So, yeah, it was. It was, for, for me, like walking a tightrope. I couldn't, it's difficult to know when you're dealing with an actual person how much, you know, introspection or psychology that you might be able to get into in statements. And I tried to steer, stay away from that, which is why uh-huh. it's, it's leaner. It's leaner. It's the shortest book I've ever written, you know, and I didn't, didn't even realize it because it was, you know, on the computer. Um, and I don't primarily count words because I found that counterintuitive for me. It kind of slows me down. Um, uh-huh. But yeah, it does. It, 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 it yeah. It, when you're representing a real person, you just have to get it right, but at least according to the records, you know. And you say that you spent as much. Uh, I'm not sure that you did it full time. You can tell me, but 18 months really from your beginning of your research to when you felt that you know you had a good. Um, handle on Bessie and and wrote the book is what what were your sources or can you talk just a little bit about the research process Mhm Mhm Yes well I started in um in the Cullen County Historical Society's library because they are just have a wealth of information in their library about you know local history local people um and so that's where I started. I spent hours, hours at a time, four or five hours on the weekend. Um, and this was over a year because or so before I even started the rough draft because I had to keep going back. And so I took my computer. I was going to take notes on my computer, and, but they didn't allow it, you know, in, back in the library proper. So I started taking notes and taking notes and taking notes and, um, oh. Then I started branching out into other. Well, there were photos there. You know, they have a whole section on um, on Madame Beth Jones, and and they also have on permanent display her fur, fur coat. And it's upstairs oh, really? in the museum part. Yeah, yeah, her actual fur coat. I've been there, but um, I don't think I remember seeing that. Yeah. Well, it, they just put it on display this past March. So unless you've been there recently or upstairs, oh, no, probably I been wouldn't. there recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's see, the databases, um, the court records, those are all part of. And books like uh, I was also use the historical text, you know, for the context. Um, I was trying to put her in her own world, although you know, the more I researched, the more I realized that. Uh, that uh, our world is very similar. Um, as far as, for example, the flu, you know, they had a Spanish flu. Now we have COVID-19. But um, newspaper articles, I would guess, would be the um, the most um, 
and that was newspapers.com. Um, and uh-huh. I just did several books of research. And by the way, there are more than there are about 39 Bessie Jane Joneses. So I had to weed out the ones that didn't fit, you know, that weren't her. Um, uh-huh. um, personal interviews, um, interviews that um, are on tape at uh, CCHS. Um, lawyers. Um, one of the cutest books I had. Well, not cutest. That's not a really a proper word for it. Uh, I had to do some research on the radio, and um, and I have a book uh, that's um, you know, the history of the I don't know 100 most interesting um, um, inventions, <laughs> and radio is in there. And talked about the oh, crystals, really? and I yeah, and I so I needed that backdrop because the PZO Crystal Company was behind uh, Bessie's. Um, so yeah, I think that I hope that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that sort of leads me into the the next one. Um, you know, at first blush. Um, the the book Madam Bessie Jones Her Life and Times may look like a, a just a just not meaning just to minimize it but look like a new true crime examination of an old Carlisle PA murder mystery um, and the book does deliver on that front but um, I was impressed at how there's so much more packed into this book. Um, you explore the economic and social factors which led to Bessie Jones and her mother before her to run a bordello. Uh, you provide a broad historical context of what's happening and changing at the world level, at the national level, and the local level um, as a backdrop for Bessie's personal story. Um, and so it's it's a really multi-layered uh, approach. Uh, was it hard to balance the different slices and layers? You know, Bessie's personal story against all that historical context. How, how did you have a formula that you arrived at, or did it just flow as you wrote the book? Unfortunately, no, Sherry. I don't have a formula. <laughs> Um, so I kind of like the slime from the seat of my pants. Um, but the only way I can make sense, well, of course, I had the chronological order. You know, I did the notes that way. But the only mm-hmm. thing that made sense to me, uh, besides the chronological order, was to, um, you know, make sure that people had a context for when Bessie lived and what she did and what was going on in the times. And so what I tried to do is spend some time on Bessie, some time on Carlisle, some time on the nation, and if if, it affected people, you know, in the Carlisle area, then sometimes on what was going on on the international stage. Very difficult, Uh very difficult, because you you don't know how much, you know, background in this case uh, my audience would have on history. Um, right. And I'm not history. You know, I'm not, I don't have a background in history either. Mine's in uh, you know English literature and uh, composition or rhetoric. But so it, that was it was difficult. How much do I put in here about the bomb and you know air raid shelters and before it starts becoming a distraction, too much of a digression. Um, so I tried to keep those elements equal, except for 
when I'm doing the anecdotes, and that's just all Bessie, you know, and they uh-huh. are all based on real-life events that were verified okay. in newspaper articles and in books. Um, Joe Kress, he's a local author. He's written two books, uh, two chapters in his first book, Wicked Carlisle, um, on Corns on Cora, the one on Bessie. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I thought that was probably the most difficult thing to do, to try to, as you well know, you're <laughs> my writing in the critique group as well, but just to get the order right and how much do I put in, you know. So, yeah. yeah. A real balancing act, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you yeah, exactly. job on it. Well, thank you. You know, um, you had touched on this a little bit, um, but, you know, many people may regard a book about a woman who ran a house of prostitution as unseemly or, or improper. Um, uh, and today, I'm not one of those, but today, a sex trafficking and exploitation of young women in the sex trade is a major concern. Yet you mm-hmm. approach Bessie and the, quote, girls who work in her house in a pretty sympathetic and nuanced way. Um, in fact, you really make prostitution, I, I think, more than, uh, I think, any book or movie or anything. You really make it come across as a job, um, not very glamorous or glitzy, um, pretty high on drudgery. Um, but yes. it, it, very nuanced. Can you, can you talk about how you came to that point of view? Um, came to the point that uh, it to, was to nuanced. Just treat it, um, it's sort of a matter-of-fact um, type of, you know, a profession, just like, I don't know, working at McDonald's or in an office almost. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, when I... Um, I had a hard time getting and you know a lead if you're talking journalism or an entry or a book into this one and I did mention it um, in one of my other talks that um, when I read uh, or thought of because I had read it before of course Mother to Son by Langston Hughes she wrote well son I tell you life for me ain't been no crystal stare and then it dropped it just suddenly dropped that this is how I was going to approach Bessie and Bessie's life and her history and her times. I was going to bring a, a feminine perspective. Uh, don't call me sex, please. But uh, I, I thought I could bring one that showed her the work, the, that used a good word. A lot of it just it was drudgery. But also to stop and think about her success. You know, she is in 1920s, the roaring 20s, she's taken over her mother's, you know, uh, brothel and she makes it a success for 50 more years um yeah. so those are the things that i was focusing on i was focusing on work and what that required and what that involved and i was trying to show that mm-hmm. yeah it, it, it i mean it certainly comes across as very realistic and and also you know um talks about the the sort of socioeconomic factors in a way that, I mean, that's a fancy word, but, you know, why was this what she and her mother had done? And, um, you know, some of their choices were limited, right? So <laughs> They certainly were during that time. 
I mean, women yeah. women couldn't vote before 1920, and before that, they were like, you know, the property of their fathers first, and their husbands second. Um, so that we've gained a lot of ground since <laughs> then. Yeah. There's still more to be done, of course. Oh, there always is. Um, mm-hmm. you know, along the same lines, uh, the your book also really highlights uh, the very different treatment that the prostitutes, the actual operation of the of the bordello, the body house, um, and Bessie Jones herself as the proprietor receive from law enforcement and the courts compared to her male customers who, after all, um, were the reason that this place uh, was able to exist and operate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean... Know. Do you have any <laughs> comment on that? Yeah, well, I, I think it's ironic, really, that she's, you know, her, her business was like three blocks from the police station. It was right down in town. It was a, um, the success is what amazes me. You know that that uh, I'm sure and I read articles where there were uh, uh, more male than female, you know, comments about uh, judging the women and, uh, of course, you know, making the prostitutes the sound like you know, well prostitutes. Um, so. What I was trying to do, and what I think I did do to some extent, but I could have probably done more if I'd, you know, I spent another year or so on it. Um, but as, and I, that's that's what, you know, I was not shocked, but I was very interested at looking at her successes and how she pulled all that together. And so she's a whole lot brighter, or a whole lot more stoic, or very responsible and resourceful person. Um, that was what I wanted to focus on. Well, um, I, the, one sort of final question about about the the book. Um, in the end, uh, Bessie Jones' murder um, remains unsolved, uh, in essence, um, because of the the trial. Um, you know ended and nobody was convicted. Did you form a conclusion about who done it? Um or if you don't want to share your conclusion, was it hard to end the book with such a big question hanging in the air? Yes. It was hard to end the book with such a big question. But that's what I found out. You know, I found out the case yeah. still open the cold case. Um, the uh, I mean I have the uh, crime scene uh, I have one of them and I have crime scene uh, photographs um, and so um, <coughs> excuse me um, I'm, I'm having a hard time I'm losing the thread can you I think it was a phone fault this time would you want to repeat that well, just um, you know, was it? Uh, did, did you form your own conclusion, or just you know, leaving oh. it up in the air 
because, you know, when we write fiction, uh, everything is tidied up uh, at the end yeah. usually, uh, you know, or you leave something hanging for the next book if you write a series. But in this case, this is real life, um, and so right. real life doesn't always have tidy endings. And I know that would have bothered me. That, that's why I thought yeah, I'd it, ask it, you. Yeah, it did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did bother me, uh, But but those were the facts, you know, that, couldn't find didn't find any more new facts it's you know still a cold case it's still open it's still you know uh, still all those things um and the, so the police still have jurisdiction you know over for example the crime scene photos or some that I couldn't uh, photograph because they deemed uh-huh. that in poor taste and I agreed with them uh, <clears throat> so yeah it's uh, have well there was a excuse me we went to see a talk of another writer um, I forget the title. She was researching uh, Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemming, and specifically her daughter Harriet. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she too couldn't find Harriet. She she didn't find her. You know, she wrote whole this whole book based on uh, Jefferson's daughter by Sally Hemming, and that she went to live in the city, and that then they lost track of her. So I mean, I understand that. And when you're dealing with factual people and actual you have to be honest, and so that's it did bother me. But I didn't want to spend like five years trying to wait. It's been the fifth next year will be fifty years, you know, since mm-hmm. the murder. So I didn't want to, you know, try to spend another few years trying to get a different answer when right, I, right. everything else may is never pointing to one right. person. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay, well, we're running out of time here, but I, I did want to give you a chance just to, you know, give a very brief overview of your Carlisle Crime uh, Cases series for listeners who may not be familiar with those books. Okay, Carlisle Crime Cases are five books in a series. Uh, so I would start with the series Dying for Vengeance, in which there was a rookie, uh, the of course, the rookie her name is Erin McCoy. Erin um, for Green, get it. Um, and then her uh, mentor is, or and her partner is, a detective Christopher Snow, who has uh, is a veteran on the on the Carlisle Police Force. Um, so they get together, um, and there are other people in the in the police force too. So. They worked solving crimes, and the crime itself actually happened in Carlisle. I would say at some point in this lot in the last decade. And so, but I take and fictionalize. You know, the characters are all entirely mine, um, and so some some of the events are all entirely made up. <clears throat> but I started writing police procedurals just because I got interested in like court records, and and I started reading the. Uh, you know, the police blogs and listening in, mm-hmm. you know, so it just sort of caught the bug. Um, I don't know. <laughs> caught the bug writing mysteries. I'm also <laughs> reading mysteries more now than I did before. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I thought the classic. Yeah. Well, Jody, where can people find your books, um, both Bessie's, the book about Madam Bessie, um, as well as your Carlisle crime cases, or, you know, find out more information about them? Okay. Uh, well, well, of course, Sunbury Press. Um, also, the book is available, all the books 
are available on Amazon. Also, History on High, if you live in Carlisle. Um, the Bookery, uh, which is the used bookstore in Boston Memorial Library in Carlisle. And the Village Artisans Gallery and Studios in Boiling Springs. And, you know, of course, um, they, they can be ordered by, you know, any independent uh, li- you know, library, not librarian, but book uh, owner, too. And you they're have a easy. Facebook they're page, on Kindle. too, right? Yeah. Oh, Kindle. Uh, yeah, they're on Kindle as well. And th- the first three of the Christopher, or Christopher Snow and Aaron McCoy's books are bundled together for t- was twelve ninety eight the last time I checked. So. Oh, okay, so a deal. <laughs> okay. A deal. <laughs> and I also wanted to thank you for having me on, you know, our show. Huh. Okay. <laughs> well, um, thank you for fulfilling the role of guest today. Um, I'd like to encourage our listeners to look for Madam Bessie Jones, Her Life and Times. Um, I think it's a fascinating story about an enduring local scandal and murder mystery, and it also takes the reader on a walk through 20th century history, offers a thought-provoking and fresh perspective on the realities of prostitution. Um, In closing, um, a special thanks to all of you for listening to the Milford House Mysteries. We hope you enjoyed the program today. Um, I'd just let you know that Jody and I are going to take a break from the podcast until mid-December, but we'll be back in the fall with new interviews and new segments on the art of writing. In the meantime, you can listen to some of our previous podcasts that you may have missed. Uh, If you're jonesing for the Milford House Mysteries, just go to iTunes, Stitchers, Google, or Blog Talk Radio, and you can listen to any of our interviews with other authors. So we'll talk to you again in September, and have a great rest of your summer. Well, thank you. You too. Okay. Yes. See you in and, September. Uh, yes. See you in September. <laughs> we won't break into song though. But thanks no, for no. listening, everybody. <laughs>